Hello, and welcome to the podcast with Dr. Wally, a fresh view on gospel living. Hello. I wanted to share a conversation that Dr. Wally and I had. It was um, an impromptu conversation, but it was so rich that I wanted to share it here with all of you. I hope you enjoy. So I have some questions because after after that episode we did, um, I was doing some journaling about it. And I, I, there was a few things you said that have really stuck with me, but I'm trying to figure out how it fits in with some other things that feel true to me. So I remember you saying, um, you kind of had mentioned that self-love, the opposite of self-hate is not self-love, it's self-forgetfulness. And, and that feels true. And then there's also this other dimension of like, I recognize, you know, in, in my role as a mother or in my relationship with, with my family, there's times when I neglect myself. And so I'm trying to figure out how is forgetting myself different from neglecting myself? Because when I neglect myself, I start feeling, I feel the anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I have not attended to my needs. And now I'm a frazzled, angry mother. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm kind of dra- grappling with the nuance there of what's the difference between forgetting myself um, or the other word that that I think we talked about in that episode was um, self-indifference, I think was the term where I'm not focused on myself, but I'm attending to my needs. I mean, that that makes sense to me where we're neglecting ourselves. And then we feel like that that piece is, it feels very true. Like, well, until I pay attention to myself and I'm loving myself, then I can't like give back to my kids. If I'm completely a frazzled mom and I haven't taken care of myself, is it just the the nuance and the verbiage. So how, what is the difference between self-forgetfulness and self-neglect? Is what people are calling self-love, are some people thinking of it as like, I'm just taking care of myself? If I'm tending to my needs without being so absorbed and focused on myself, does this is this making sense? Yeah, you ask <laughs> profound questions, Emily. That's a great question. And, and I I, I would like to grapple with the answer with you um, because let's take, as in all things, Jesus is the exemplar. So Jesus would all day long um, take care of people and, and heal them, which I think required a genuine outflow of energy. I, I think healing is exhausting. So it w- it cost him to go around um, loving, concentrating on the needs of lifting, it it was costly for him. And then when the day was done and he wanted to go off and have a few minutes alone, people followed him. And then when he wore them out, he would go up in the mountain and pray. Now, I don't know that he did that every night, but but fairly often we're told that he went off and prayed. I would st- guess that his physical body was worn out by the time he died and said, oh, wow, thank goodness that's over. I couldn't take much more of this because he always prioritized his service to other people and his relationship with God. So now how do we apply that to us? And I think for me, the answer is, is maybe unexpected and almost might feel irreverent. I can imagine that when he spent the night with God, that Heavenly Father said, hey, Jesus, I brought some Pop-Tarts. Let's have something to eat together while we talk. Now, I don't know that it was Pop-Tarts, but I suspect there was a currant bush or something at hand. And he said, he said, beloved son, have a snack while we talk. And, and maybe just as we sometimes reflect while we talk to God, I mean, we we reflect and we snack or eat or do some kind of self-care. I don't think God is the kind of, it, it is not like he says, I want your undivided attention. I don't want you doing anything else while you're talking to me. You put down that phone. I, I think God instead is the most companionable, the most considerate, the most enjoyable companion in the universe. So I could picture him now. I, I don't know that I can represent it physically, but 
but I think emotionally it was like father sat on a rock next to Jesus and he rubbed his shoulders while Jesus ate berries and that's and that little chunk of bread he had put in his pocket and and he counseled with his son said oh Jesus didn't that feel good to minister today did you feel the joy of the people wasn't wonderful the way even your disciples were getting it wasn't that a glorious thing when we think about God as our companion in the journey, instead of the very worst of any parent we've ever known, um, I think we might be getting closer to the truth. So, so Jesus was, shall we say, doing self-care while he was connecting with God. Because I don't think God's the austere, demanding, indifferent to our need kind of person we often suppose him to be. What do you think? I love that. And this idea of um, caring for ourselves while in connection with God, instead of this self-centered kind of absorbed, I'm going to do for me right now. And instead it, it feels like a spiritual practice. I mean, to kind of, um, to make it like a spiritual practice where we're connecting, connecting with God and to me, it feels like connecting with ourselves too. Like there's this, there's this dual, we're, we're giving energy, we're receiving energy and it's filling us up. And instead of it, I'm going to, and I'm going to take care of myself now. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's a word I'm looking for, but it, it, it's like collaborative, it's healing. I mean, I, I love that image that you, you know, of, of Christ sitting with God and almost having his shoulder rubbed or, or like being kind of taken care of. So it's not just, I'm going to take care of myself, but it's like spiritually, I'm going to be in connection with God. I don't know. These are all kind of random thoughts, but it, it's, it's a different flavor for me yeah. than I've thought of caring for the self. So imagine Jesus coming away from this, maybe all night session with heavenly father, his body is exhausted, but his spirit his spirit is so alive and filled with grace and goodness. So maybe he runs into Peter who's saying something impulsive and foolish. And your inclination is just grab him and kiss him on the forehead because you're so filled with love and goodness. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm exploring this territory with you, Emily. How do you work self-care into this? the sense of spiritual priorities. It's a hard question, but I think the solution begins with recognizing it's not either or that, mm. for instance, when I am um, with one of the grandkids having a joyous time, like recently when we took Ian to Tandoori oven, um, we were loving Ian and it was restoring us. It's not either or. And, and so in a world of zero sums, we often imagine that it uh, drains us to care for others and, and instead it fills us. Hmm. That's, a, that's a paradigm shift, I'm going to admit, because I don't always feel that as a mother. Sure. And I love my kids, but I don't always feel that I'm restoring, that I'm, you know, feeling restored as I'm caring for them and that. I, uh, I mean, I, I would say there are times, you know, there are times where I'm caring for them and it does feel it's enjoyable for me too. And it's restorative for me, but man, there's times where I just, it just feels like the grunt work, you know, I'm washing dishes or pots and pans. They do wash their own dish and put them in the dishwasher, but there, I can see how it could almost be a, a practice, like a meditation, you know, it could be a really beautiful, um, restorative practice. And that isn't how I thought of it a lot of the time. I'll just sure, be honest. Sure. And don't you think that the natural parent is an enemy to children and has been from the fall and will be forever and ever. But, but that's in contrast to the spiritual one, the one filled with the light of Christ. So imagine that, let's just imagine for the sake of discussion that Mo makes some request, mom, could you, can you make a sandwich for me? And you're thinking, Oh man, do you know how to make a sandwich? <laughs> 
and and I'm 13 years old kid <laughs> yeah and you've got all these other things that must be done but let's imagine and and I'm exploring this territory with you also because I because like you I'm living life and often don't reflect on how it works but imagine that you turn fully to mo the way God turns to us and you say come here son and you grab him holding time and kiss him on the forehead to keep from beating him. I mean, in, in some sense. Now, yeah. I mean, it's a, instead of letting your fallen tiredness speak, and instead of letting the natural parent take charge, you let the, the parent in Christ take charge. And you say, I certainly love you. And I love doing things for you. Um, is this a time when you could make the sandwich? And, and so you've set a context and you've added energy and you've brought God to your relationship with Mo instead of bringing our own tiredness and, and complaint, which is very real and, and very, I mean, you came by it naturally. You earned that tiredness by your hard work. But imagine that we uh, try to bring the other. Now, I, I guess that's, you know, when we've talked before about turning toward as, as opposed to turning away and turning against. So imagine that you bring God to that with you and God is inside of you and you reach out and grab him and say, let's not talk about sandwiches right now. I just want to kiss your cute face. And okay, as a teen, he maybe say, mom, mom, that's what my, that's not what my face is for. He's pretty good about it right now, but I have a, the clock is ticking. That may yeah. expire soon. But I love that. No, I love that. I I mean, shouldn't we expect that the best way to do it is something we'd never think of, unless we were just letting ourselves be filled up with God, and then He changes everything. I mean, you and I have, and and I think most everybody has sometime had the experience where we were so filled with His goodness that we just wanted to hug everybody we saw. We wanted to go find crowds and start hugging them. Now we knew we might get arrested for it, but <laughs> but but we just felt that impulse to be gracious and giving and loving. So maybe we don't invite God to be a part of our parenting, our marriages, our shopping, our driving in traffic. And um, so we keep running on empty and we get metal against metal, that scraping sound that comes from us rubbing against the rough edges of life. And um, maybe uh, in some sense, God's the great lubricant. He just makes everything run smoothly. Now, now, saying it is one thing, as you and I are smart enough to know that practicing it's quite another, to be able to to pause and, and have him so much on our hearts that that when we want to lash out and say the smart thing, instead we say, ooh, ooh. <laughs> that's that's the natural parent and the natural parent should be put in time out and um it's the man or woman of christ who is authorized to heal and and another so we um and actually emily here i am a grandpa and i've been a grandpa for 21 years and and I feel like I'm just starting to learn, like when we get to go watch the grandkids and stay with them for a week while while their parents travel. Um, I'm trying to to bring that kind of thing where I see it as an opportunity and and to to grab those kids and look in their faces and and look in their hearts and and love them. And I think sometimes they look at us like, is something going on here? I mean, is there some kind of conspiracy here? You're, you're being weird. And and they don't actually verbalize that, but I think they like being loved. Yeah. Wow. I'm just taking a second because something's shifting in me. Maybe it's kind of why when uh, the amazing thing to me about the Alma story is that he goes from being the vilest of sinners to having these heavenly experiences in a matter of minutes. How does that happen when I thought we had to suffer and grit up our determination and prove our faithfulness, and then somehow God, little by little, would show up in our lives? But that's not what happened. Alma got himself out of himself 
and made room for God to come in. And and maybe that's the hard work, the heavy lifting. It, it isn't the, the work across time as much as the emptying. Um, it isn't the setting goals and say, I'm going to be a little more kind. I'm going to smack my children a little less often until maybe in a hundred years, I'll be a pretty darn good parent. No, I think it's, I think it's the, oh, oh, we catch ourselves. And like Alma, we just say, look, I, I'm a mess and I know my impulses right now aren't good. Oh, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. Take charge, fill me up. Make me what you are. And I don't, I'm a long ways from there, but I feel the invitation. And, and sometimes every once in a while, um, like recently when we were visiting at our son's house and I saw one of the grandchildren sitting by herself and I just went over and snuggled up next to her and asked her about what she was doing. And she just sprawled herself you know, she just put her legs over mine and started talking about what she's doing. And I thought, yeah, yeah. And, and of course my impulse had been to talk to the adults about the things we were doing. But when I became a messenger for Jesus, reaching out to someone who is by herself, things changed. And then of course the irony is that, um, we often think in terms of energy and energy demands. And instead of being depleted by that kind of experience, I'm renewed by it. I'm enlarged. I think, wow, that was fun. It was so fun to love this sweet grandchild of ours. It was so satisfying and energizing. So maybe energy is a problem when we're depending on our own and maybe energy is not a problem when we're drawing on gods. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm kind of just thinking about this last week for me and and having some hindsight <laughs> as we're talking about this. Um, I told you that our, our little guy had had another seizure. He's had kind of a health history and it's been several months since he's had one. And so I was kind of thinking we were, you know, out of the woods and you've kind of grown out of it or whatever. And, um, and he had another one and I just, you know, my initial response is, Oh no, not again. I'm so tired. Like I, I, um, you know, the, the last time we were really dealing with this, it just nearly broke me. I just really was in a, in a bad way. And I, and I just, you know, I thought I, I don't know that I can do this. And I watched my husband, how my husband approached the situation. And, and there was something, there was something there that I knew I needed to learn from. And, and it was interesting. It's interesting how since, since then, um, I, I think I'm looking back and I'm feeling a little bit of what, of what you're saying that I, instead of feeling so broken by it this time, I felt like a renewing of our relationship. It, it drew him to me. He's a really energetic little guy who frankly doesn't really need a whole, I mean, he's, he's not a big cuddler. He's not, he kind of doesn't need me as much as my older boys did, you know? kind of just is always busy, always in his thing. And, um, and, you know, practically potty trained himself before he was two and just didn't want to be a baby anymore. Just was ready to just join the big kids. <laughs> and I was kind of missing that. And, and this last week, it's like he, he snuggled up to me and, and I, and I allowed myself because I'd been craving that connection with him in that way that I'm realizing now it wasn't a depletion. I didn't feel the same way that I had months ago when we were dealing with this. And, and I, and it did, I've noticed even the last few days, I've, I've kind of noticed how my perspective with that has shifted a little bit. And I'm, and I think it's what you're talking about. I think that something in me was, was shifting. And, um, and maybe I just needed that space and that, that time to really crave it in that way that, that serving him and, and taking care of him, um, it didn't feel like a burden. And instead it, it felt like renewal. And I'm, I'm just now, as we're talking about this, I'm recognizing that's what that was. Yeah. When you see him go through something and, and it's painful to watch, 
but it also underscores his preciousness, doesn't it? That he's more, more precious to you than, than your own life. And, um, and remembering that can change everything. And, and, And I think that's why the frequent counsel of scripture is remember, 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 because we keep, forgetting the eternal perspective and focusing on the um, the tiredness, the inconvenience, the frustration, the lack of control we have. I mean, in the case of your son, think how little control you have over his episodes. But uh, maybe the heavenly perspective is, think how precious a gift he is to you. Yeah. So with that, I'm I'm kind of getting curious to what you were talking about earlier before I insisted we press record. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Is that is that still related to what we're talking about? I you hadn't completely go, gone in the direction yet. So, but I'm but I'm now curious about you. You talked about getting our hearts right, and that feels relevant in this moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've wrestled with the issue of self-love for um, decades, literally decades. And in the 70s, somebody invited me to make a a movie about the importance of self-esteem and self-love, and it felt wrong to me. And so for the decades since, I've wrestled with it and have seen the research turn squarely against self-esteem. Since 1983, um, the message has been really clear for that long from from the research community, and then seeing how it just didn't seem at all compatible with Scripture, um, it just seems like Jesus recommends something very different and practiced something different. When he didn't allow himself to be called good master, it just doesn't seem like we ought to be spending a lot of time in front of the mirror talking about how wonderful we are. That that's just not following his example, but. I guess it was just this morning that I thought, oh, it's a matter of priorities because God's priority is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength, which seems pretty comprehensive, doesn't it? I mean, everything you got, everything, everything you have, bring it to God. And then he says, and love thy neighbor as thyself, which has been distorted by American culture into saying you can't love anybody until you love yourself, which I'm fairly sure is not what he meant. In fact, I think he meant the opposite, which is you are already busily investing the bulk of your life, taking care of yourself and taking care of your own needs. And um, would you do the same kind of thing for your neighbor? They have needs too, many of them going unmet. Will you turn some of that attention to looking after, loving, helping, encouraging, offering a smile to your neighbor? Um, so, So I think we have inverted God's priority pyramid so that we put ourselves right at the foundation. I got to the foundation is taking care of myself. And then, then maybe I'll help my neighbor and somewhere God gets stirred in. Um, I'm just sure that's not right. I'm sure it's not. In, in fact, um, when, when he says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength, imagine that we, like Jesus, spent sweet time with God being filled by him, being restored by him. And I'm afraid sometimes our prayers feel like um, depletion to us um, because our consciences speak up and say, well, how can you ask for, how can you ask for a blessing for your neighbor when you haven't taken him a casserole? Um, and, and so we feel <clears throat> those things in a negative way rather than in a restorative way. But imagine that um, we went and sat with God and let him love us. Let him fill us. What if we saw it as um, everything we ever wanted? You know, the 
the feast, the massage, the the vacation, the whatever it is, only it's of a higher and better nature. And we sit with God and let him love us. We open our hearts fully to him like, like Alma did, like Jesus did, like anyone who's ever been transformed has done. We open ourselves and then and then with that, with that energy, we go out and we say, well, how, how did Joseph say it? Um, the, the man or woman filled with the love of God is not content with blessing his family alone, but roves through the whole world, anxious to bless the whole human family. Now, that's a paraphrase, but, but I think it captures the spirit of um, when we've been filled with God, we just want to go and bless and and so um, when we use that that phrase, um, I I can't love anybody until I love myself. We are guaranteeing that we will never do things the way God is asking us to do them, as long as we take that as our motto and guiding principle. Um, instead, when we um, when we put God right at the foundation. And our relationship with him. Um, and just as a side note, Emily, um, that only works if if our time with him is restorative. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work mm, if, yeah. if it feels like sitting down uh, with an adversary to be told off at, you know, maybe if it feels like we're sitting down with an angry boss, we don't leave there energized. We leave there with our teeth on edge. And, um, and imagine that we uh, sit with God and we, uh, we take a deep breath and allow him to restore us and fill us. And we think about, and, and it's why this practice is so critical, we think about the ways he's been blessing us, even in the last minutes, hours, days, I think a day is an especially good unit for practicing gratitude to say, where have I seen God's hand today? And we may start out saying, well, I think he must have been busy in Bolivia today because I don't think I saw him in in my life. And if we sit with it for a while, and and if we have a modicum of faith, we'll start seeing God showing up all over all over the place. He just keeps showing up and smiling and patting us on the back and opening the way for us. And, you know, maybe it's a, uh, maybe we run into someone that we, we care about and just are lightened by seeing them. As an example, yesterday, our, our three-year-old neighbor friend came to visit us. Her name is Alegria. And we just love that little kid. Mm-hmm. And she came to see us and we talked and played with Alegria. Well, was that a gift from God? I, I think it was. I think life is a gift from God. I think the light is. I, I think the people we love are all gifts from God. And and they're not always they're not always wrapped up and seeming like a present. Sometimes they feel like a duty or obligation, but where would we be without them? You know take any family member and say, well, let's just take them out of the equation. Oh my, would we miss them? Or one of the blessings of getting older is that you see um, parts falling off as you're walking along, you know, your arm falls off or one, or or you see your abilities diminishing. And uh, as you do, you say, wow, think of all the things I can still do. (laughs) I can go to the park and take a walk with Nancy and hold her hand and enjoy the day. And I can't jog like I used to. I can still walk. Someday I won't be able to walk. And when I do, maybe I'll sit and look at Nancy and, and maybe I'll just look at God and his world. I don't know. I don't know when that day comes, what, what will call to me, but um, I guess that gratitude practice, it helps us so much to be aware of God. And maybe that's that's where it starts. That's loving him with all of our heart, might, mind, 
and strength. We just, we love him to pieces because we know how much he's a part of all goodness, all life, light, all joy and purpose. And, and so it can happen in those really simple ways of just making a list of blessings or even reflecting on blessings across the lifetime or um, Nancy and I often, as we're getting ready for bed, I say, Nancy, what were your best today? And she asked me the same, what were your best experiences? And we talk about them as we talk. Sometimes I think, Oh, Nancy, thank you for reminding me of that one. I need to go write that one down because I forgot. Um, so when we tune towards gratitude, we're really tuning towards God, who's the source of all blessings. So um, I guess for me that a great discovery today was that um, was a new way of thinking about the problem with self-love. Um, I, I don't know just how self-love fits in, but when we get it right, we start with being filled with God through gratitude, through through prayer, if that works for us, or meditation, I think God is quite glad for us to approach him in the way that works for us. And the idea that it has to be this way or that, someone else's way or or some prescribed way, I think it narrows us too much. Whereas what works for Wally? What works for Emily? What works for Nancy? What works to, to find God? And, and then when we do, when we've really filled ourselves with him, then then I think we're ready to go and just put love on all those people around us. Just be grateful for them and maybe even get weird and walk up to, you know, like we have a grandson named Ben and, and I don't think Ben would ever say, could you just love on me for a while? He, he wouldn't say that, but, but when I come up to Ben and I look at him, and I smile with my whole soul. I think Ben feels it. And I think Ben likes it. And, and maybe we don't do that. And if we get so caught up in running from thing to thing that we don't pause and look at the people in our lives and, and just love them. So then when we have filled ourselves with God, we love our fellow men. And then um, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, um, I'd say that at that point, we're so filled with the joy of being loved by God and being his messenger into the lives of others that love for ourselves. I don't even, I don't even know what that means. Honestly, I think at that point, you're just so glad to be alive. So glad to be a messenger. So glad to be useful. So glad to be loving people that loving ourselves I think it's a really, I think when God uses it in scripture, he uses it ironically to say, love thy neighbor as thyself. You're so absorbed and worried about yourself. Can you love your neighbor in the same way? And uh, if, if we, if we do that, then, then the loving ourselves is merely to rejoice. But when I do, when I'm in that condition, I just end up rejoicing in God and go back to the top again and say, wow, <laughs> I'm just so happy to be alive. I'm just so happy to be useful. I'm so happy to be, to have been able to love today, to be used by you, to carry your core message, which is love to, to Ben and to Eliza and maybe to Abby and to other people in our lives. This is, this is hitchhiking, but Nancy and I, when we walk in the park, pass this this woman, young woman, who, who we sometimes see running and walking, and and she just seems so mysterious. She she will run for a while and walk for a while, and and um, yesterday she saw us picking up garbage in the park, and she stopped and said something about that, and and we said, "Don't tell us about you," and she said, "Well." I've I've started running and walking and I've so far lost 165 pounds. And I thought, wow. Wow. And and of course, 
Nancy and I were in awe over this woman whose determination had was moving her towards a so much healthier, happier place. And we just just loved her and admired her and were grateful to have met her. And I'm pretty sure, Emily, that we could stop almost any random stranger. And if we had the inspiration of wisdom to access the important parts of their story, we would love them. We would love them. That's certainly what happened yesterday with a woman who, with whom we'd never spoken before. Uh, almost a complete stranger. We'd seen her, but never talked to her. And now we can't wait till we see her again and say, tell us what you do with your life and what you love and what else is amazing about you. And and maybe that's that Zion. When we start loving each other and cherishing each other, valuing each other, maybe that's what it is. But it starts... It starts, I think, in every case, not by me sitting home saying, let me get filled up with self-love so I can go out and bless the world. Let me think about all the ways in which I'm amazing. I'm pretty sure that that has the opposite effect. But if I find a quiet place to talk to Heavenly Father and say, I think I caught you again. I think I caught you blessing us. And I think I saw you overblessing the neighbors too. And I think I saw you just up the street helping out so and so. Thanks for showing yourself to us so that we can be grateful. And if I start there, then when I go out in the street, then I'm going to be acting in the way God wants me to. We're going to be loving the lady who runs in the park and we're going to be hugging on our grandkids and we're going to be gracious with our neighbors. So when we get the priority right, love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, might, mind, and strength, then everything flows pretty naturally. It doesn't mean the challenges go away, but I think it means we have the resources to handle them. Mm. What do you think, Emily? That last bit, it means we have the resources to handle them because that that feels like the missing piece of the puzzle, I think, for a lot of us. Um, I, at least speaking for myself, I think that's... I just look back and I, and I think of all the times I was really stuck in fear and I've been just thinking about, you know, folks who have been through like really traumatic things or even just childhood where there wasn't much connection with their parents um, for whatever reason and, and how that, you know, changes development. And obviously you, you probably have things to say about that, but I've just been thinking about, you know, times in my life where I really struggled with this, this idea of, you know, serving others first and loving God first um, before taking care of myself. And I think the times in my life where I've really struggled with that, it's because I was in so much pain that I felt like I just was trying to survive. Uh -huh. And this kind of, I don't want to call it necessarily scarcity mentality, but like, like if I don't love myself, who will? Who is, you know, going to, mm -hmm. and, and I can't describe it except that, you know, obviously I, I, there was a disconnect there for me from, from, from God, from my creator, because had I been really accessing that love, then I wouldn't have felt such scarcity and so I'm just thinking about how we humans, you know, when we feel, um, when we're in such pain and we're in that fallen state, how, how easily it is to forget the source of all good and the source of all love when we're just so focused on surviving. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to have compassion for my, you know, my past self of like the ways I, I got through and the ways I survived and, and the misguided you know, the misguided ways that I, I tried to just fill my own cup so that I would have something left for my family, you know, that kind of thinking. I, I recognize the ways that I've done that in the past and I'm trying to have compassion for myself because when, as I'm learning more and as I'm, you know, developing spiritually, um, I, I can see what's true. I see more of what, you know, what is true. And and so I guess I'm just, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of chewing on this bit of like, um, how, how can I help my children, you know, who have been through difficult things so that, so that they understand this truth that you're talking about 
um, and don't get caught up in, in, you know, the cultural myths of self-love because it's so, it's like you said, it's so, um, it's easy to buy into that when it, when we're surrounded in it and all, I mean, in all areas, there really is no place. I feel that that's not the, the predominant, um, viewpoint that's being sold. And, and I too have struggled with it and I haven't quite known why or understood, um, what, what it was about it that didn't set right with me because uh, like you've said in, in the past, like, if I'm thinking, okay, what's the opposite of self-love? Well, I, I don't want to hate myself, obviously. So self-love must be the thing. And I and what I'm hearing you say is there's a third option that I forget about, that we can all forget about. Yeah. In fact, I think you've heard me say that I think self-hate and self-love are remarkably similar. similar. They're really mm-hmm. both forms of self-absorption right. and the opposite is self-forgetfulness. And um mm-hmm. And, you know, you've asked a really hard question that goes to the core of the purpose of life, Emily, which is we know um, or believe that God presides and it all has purpose and it's really glorious and it's an incredible opportunity. And then we hit times of unbearable pain and we say, what, what? And and it doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be a ready remedy. And I think um, what it reminds me of, this may seem a little bit of feel, but it reminds me of what Heimgenot said when a parent said to him, you know, um, this language of compassion you're trying to teach us is so hard for us to learn. We're having a hard time learning it. And, and, and we don't know, we're not getting it right, but we're struggling with it, but we're trying to. And he said, you know, you may always speak the language of compassion with an accent, but for your children, it can be their native tongue. And that feels really powerful to me in part because English was Heimgenot's third language. So he understood um, speaking with an accent. But um, let's think about how that applies. Um, Maybe there were not people in your youth who knew how to paint a picture for you or had even seen the picture of Heavenly Father spending the night with Jesus ministering to him. But if you've seen the vision, you can convey it to your children. And and to the extent that they're, they may or may not be receptive, maybe it takes a different form. You say, Hey, boys, where did you see goodness today? Where did you see goodness? And get them looking for goodness. And maybe the day will come when you feel inspired to say, in my understanding, all that is just simply from God. That's just from God. He does goodness. He's he's got a monopoly on it. And he shares it gladly with anyone who wants to be in business with him. But all goodness comes from God. And, and, um, so let's be let's be goodness scouts or God scouts. Let's be looking for him. And um, so imagine that for your boys, when they face crises, that they say, okay, where have I seen goodness? Maybe they know how to work it through better than we did because you've prepared them. Um, and... And there's still that nagging, gnawing problem of why were you left alone through it? And we could ask, why was Joseph left for five months in Liberty Jail? And why? And and I guess God's answer might seem cavalier if it came from another human, but it's not cavalier from him, which is all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. Because think how compassionate you are now because of what you've suffered. Think how when someone else tells you of something they've dealt with, Emily, how tears spring to your eyes because you're tender and compassionate. You have felt it with your life and your soul. And one reason people love and trust you so much is because of that, because you paid the price to understand pain and ultimately appreciate rescue. Mm-hmm. So while at the time 
it seems like a deep and unanswerable mystery. Why, why all this suffering? I, I just feel sure that when we, uh, when we see things from God's perspective, we'll go, oh, wow, you were training me in compassion, weren't you? You were giving me advanced lessons in in compassion, empathy, understanding, and uh, today, now, and forevermore, I will be grateful, even if at the time it was profoundly painful. Isn't it glorious, Emily, that you having <clears throat> suffered so many of the things you have are uh, the tender person you are, and and people turn to you because of it, because you are that person they know that your heart is gracious and uh and I don't have the right to say that everything you went through was necessary but I think God uh may yet say you're a richer better kinder more compassionate human being because of those experiences and I'm glad that in our pre-earth council you agreed to accept those experiences as part of your preparation for being the woman you are today. Thank you. Gosh, it's 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 so interesting how uh, a paradigm shift can just really change how we experience ourselves and our relationships to others. How how that can really shift just the whole internal world of of how we're looking at life and, and experiencing our relationships and, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's powerful. Well, if we, if we imagine that this time we have spent talking this morning is a time spent rejoicing in God, then, mm -hmm. then imagine that we each set a goal in our respective lives to, um, to hug and kiss the faces of the people who are in our lives. God has placed in our lives. And we, and my guess is the net effect of that will be to energize us and, mm -hmm. and energize and connect them. And we, boy, we just are not marching, but dancing towards Zion when we, <laughs> when we just love on the people God has put in our lives. Mm, I love that. Yep. So I guess the question I ought to ask you, Emily, is is um, to me the the way I've been thinking about self love. I mean, my attitude's the same, which I think self self love is a distraction that keeps us from progressing and doing God's work. But my understanding of why that so feels richer today than it has in the past, because of thinking about how we invert that caring pyramid. Uh, when we start by caring about ourselves, it's really different from when we start by caring about loving, adoring God. Does that feel, does it feel different for you also? Or yeah, it is that does. a distinction it, it is interesting. without a difference? Yeah. It's, it's interesting just how, even when I was posing that question, I was still really, I mean, you could probably tell Listeners are just hearing our voices, but we're we're seeing each other's faces. We have video here, so you could probably tell in my face um, that it, it was a charged. You know, I'm not feel I wasn't feeling um, especially overwhelmed or angry angry in that moment, but I was kind of accessing the memory of it. I mean, I was I was thinking about those very real moments. Feel depleted. We feel we have nothing left to give. You know, we could go on and on about that. And so I was kind of accessing, gosh, what, what do we do in those moments when we, you know, I, I understand that self-love is really just the other side of, of you know, it's self-absorption. And I, I understand it's really just different from self-hate in, in the affect. I, I, I listened well enough. I learned that. <laughs> the, I, I don't know if we call it the solution, but the, the action to be taken then is, is um, you know, if I can pause, just push the pause button. I love, you kind of painted this picture and I could even visualize in my mind being in the kitchen, standing in the kitchen and having my son ask me to, to make a sandwich because there have been moments where I'm like, are we kidding? You're 13 years old. And really, and what I see and, and as I heard you talk is that was kind of a bid for connection right there. That was him saying, 
hey mom i'm i'm feeling a little a little alone i'm feeling a little uh depleted can you connect with me you know there's something about a mother feeding her son that just kind of warms the soul you know this idea of like caregiving and yeah, and and I can see, I could just see my thirteen-year-old boy who is going to be taller than me any minute. I mean, he's just right there, and he's not going to probably ask me to make him a sandwich at twenty-one. <laughs> I think he's moved on. Hopefully, he's not still living at home at twenty-one. But I don't know. Anyway, no judgment if he is, but um, but really, that that's him making a bid for connection, yeah. and and even if I don't have it to give, if I'm exhausted and depleted. I can still love on him and then say, is that, you know, is this a moment where you can make a sandwich that I can, I can hold, I can recognize maybe when, when I just need, you know, need him to make a sandwich. But, but I love this, this image that I, you know, I had in my, in my mind as you were speaking of just me connecting with my son in the kitchen. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought about it like that. And, and you know, um, there are a lot of possibilities. One possibility is imagine that um, Mo says, mom, can you make me a sandwich? And you recognize that it's a bid for connection. And one option is to say, I would rather make a sandwich for you and be with you than with the queen of England or, mm-hmm. or whoever, anyone on this planet. And, and so um, you've really seized that bid for connection and turned toward you've grabbed him and embraced him with love and appreciation. And if, as you observed, he might be really wanting for wanting some connection with mom, um, wow, what a great answer. And there will be times when maybe you simply cannot make the sandwich and you say, oh, I wish I could, because I like doing things with you and for you more than almost anything on the planet. And so even if you didn't make the sandwich, you responded to the bid for a connection, didn't you? Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. said, I love you so much and you're so valuable to me. And and so, so often we think life is about sandwiches and cars and all kinds of stuff. And really it's about relationships. Yeah. Yeah, that feels true. <laughs> well that was fun Emily we didn't do what you planned on doing but <laughs> no you still have me I still I'm like writing down questions for next time okay. but this is great <laughs> yeah yeah thanks so much yeah great to visit with you we hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Wally on a fresh view of gospel living I have a favor to ask if you love this podcast remember to subscribe to it and if you feel called please leave us a review and share it with a loved one Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, take care.